0: to uh, Redemption Church on a rainy weekend. Um, last week we started an Advent series called Nothing is Impossible where we will be moving through the book of Luke, specifically looking at uh, several different songs, several different hymns that appear in the first two chapters of the book of Luke. There's Mary's song, which we'll be talking about today. There's the song from Zechariah, the song that the angels sing. Um, after Jesus' birth, and then there's the song of Simeon. Um, and so, just so you're aware, part of the theme for the decorations this year in uh, Redemption Church revolves around those hymns. So, if you look at the front windows, there are, um, there are pa- it's part of the passage from Mary's song that we'll be talking about today. There's just sort of a, a hymn theme throughout the building, and, and, and part of the reason for that is simply to invite us in Um, to join in on these songs as we reflect on the Advent, as we reflect on the Incarnation, as we reflect on the fact that nothing is impossible. Uh, It's just sort of an invitation for us to join in on those songs, right? And so, like I said this morning, we're going to be looking at Mary's song in Luke chapter 1. I'm going to read a few verses from Luke and then pray for us. Uh, But if you have your Bibles and want to turn there, Luke chapter 1, verses 38 through 45, I'm going to read first. Luke chapter 1 thirty eight through forty five. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And in those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country, to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women And blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Let's pray. Holy Father, thank you for the opportunity we have to be together God, thank You for the opportunity we have over the next few weeks to dive into Luke chapter 1 and chapter 2 and to hear these songs and to be invited in to make these songs our own songs, to, to sing them together, to remember Christ's coming to earth. Holy Father, I pray this morning as we look at this passage that You would continue to work in our hearts and minds, that You would draw us close to You, that Jesus would be lifted high and we would be drawn to you because of Jesus. Holy Father, I recognize that my words are of little importance, God, but we know that your words are of utmost importance. So I pray that we would hear your words this morning in this place. Holy Father, I ask all this in the name of your Son, our Savior, our King, Jesus. Amen. At the first council of Ephesus in 431 AD, Some early church leaders got together at the behest of the Roman emperor and there were two main outcomes of this council. One was a recognition or an affirmation of the original Nicene Creed that was made about 100 years before this council. Now I'm going to go off course for just a second. It was also at the original First Council of Nicaea that St. Nicholas of Myra was there. That's the basis for Santa Claus. It was at that council that Santa Claus punched another person that he deemed to be a heretic. And so a few years ago, there was a meme going around that had a picture of the original St. Nicholas that said, I'm here to pass out gifts and punch heretics. And I'm all out of gifts. The second affirmation which is pertinent to what we're talking about this morning at the Council of Ephesus, was that it was appropriate to bestow upon the Virgin Mary, the mother of Jesus, the title of Theotokos, the mother of God. We just heard Elizabeth say something very similar to that. The mother of my Savior, the mother of my Lord. And that title is not meant to say that Mary is divine. But that title was meant to say that Mary holds a unique and esteemed position within God's redemptive story. So she's given the title Theotokos. Many Protestant Christians, right, that's us, those of us who aren't Catholic and who aren't Orthodox, we get a little uncomfortable in reaction to the position of the Catholic Church and the Orthodox Church and we are sort of uncomfortable thinking about Mary holding an esteemed position, maybe. Um, that's exactly what has been bestowed upon her. And it's fascinating, I think, and it's really important to recognize that in the book of Luke, both at the beginning and at the end, at the incarnation and at the resurrection, the first witnesses are women. At a time when the news is filled with accounts of the abuse and the mistreatment of women uh, across our world, I think it's pretty fascinating to look to Scripture, to look to church history, and see that in the Gospel of Luke and in the history of God's church, there are accounts that celebrate the role and the contributions of women, and specifically here, Mary. Without Mary, there is no Jesus. Without Jesus, there is no incarnation, and there's no Christmas to celebrate. Without an incarnation, Jesus would not have walked on this earth without sin to be our righteousness, died on the cross to satisfy God's justice, and rose from the dead to defeat Satan, sin, and death for all time. Right? Let's not be timid to celebrate and to learn from and to engage with Mary and with her song. Because Mary, according to her song, that we'll read in just a second, is intended to be seen as blessed by all generations. And Mary doesn't just belong to one tradition. Mary belongs to the history of redemption. She belongs to us all. Mary has been told by the angel Gabriel, we just saw that, that she will conceive in her womb and bear a son, and that son will be the Savior of God's people, a son that will sit on the throne of David forever. And Mary's response is not to question whether or not God can save his people. She simply says, how can this be because I'm a virgin? The angel tells her that the Holy Spirit will bring this about, that God will bring it about. And she says, let it be to me according to your word. And then scripture says she got up with haste and went to visit Elizabeth, probably somebody that she felt like she could relate to in this moment because the angel told her that Elizabeth, who was previously Uh, without child, is now pregnant as well. And so Mary travels probably for three or four days, it seems by herself, we don't know, uh, to get to the hill country of Judah, and she enters the house of Elizabeth, and John the Baptist leaps inside Elizabeth's womb. Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit, and then Elizabeth confirms what the angel Gabriel has already told Mary, that Mary is with child, that that child will be the Lord, will be Mary's Savior, and she calls Mary the mother of my Lord. And then the narrative of the story is broken, and Mary starts singing. So Let's read Mary's song, starting in verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich He has sent away empty. He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy as He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to His offspring forever. Mary's song is so interwoven with the very words and the story of the Old Testament that it's almost as if Mary is fitting the entire story of God into this one song. She either quotes or alludes to passages from Genesis, Deuteronomy, 1st and 2nd Samuel, the Song of Hannah, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Micah, Habakkuk, Zephaniah. It's a virtual tour of the Old Testament that Mary refers to. And particularly she focuses in focuses in on what God will accomplish through the coming of the Messiah. And here's the interesting part. Mary sings about it as if it's already happened. As if it's already fully accomplished. It's a full 30 or 40 weeks before Jesus is born. It's a full 30 years or 30 plus years before Jesus is on the cross and rising from the dead. And Mary is singing about it as if it has already happened. It's an incredible song from the mother of Jesus about the fulfillment of everything that God has promised his people throughout the Old Testament. As I mentioned, it's one of four songs that we see in the first two chapters of Luke. It's the premier song, the, the Magnificat, called so because of the way it begins in Latin. But Let me ask you this question. What is the purpose of a song? What's the purpose of a song? The purpose of a song is to be sung. The purpose of a song is to be Heard, the purpose of a song is to be shared. And more specifically to this situation, why is Luke opening up the first two chapters of his book, of his account of Jesus with four songs? Why is he including these songs? Scott Becker, who, who is a scholar and a study on early Christian literature, argues that Luke is using a pretty common Hebrew convention here, literary convention. It's the same thing we see throughout the Old Testament, and and the point is not just to record what Mary said, to record the words of a song. The point is to invite the reader, the point is to invite the hearer into the song such that the hearer would actualize these words in such a way that Mary's song becomes our song. In such a way that Zachariah's song becomes our song. In such a way that Simeon's song becomes our song. In such a way that the angel's song becomes our songs. Right? And, and the very words that Mary is singing, these are words from the Old Testament, these are themes from the Old Testament that have become hers, and she now sings them in response to what God is doing. And so I would argue that Luke is breaking the narrative here and introducing this song because he wants to invite us into this song so that this song would become our song, that these words would become our words. I asked her permission to share this, but last year during Advent, Kate Minix, um posted on Twitter how during the season of Advent she was reading Mary's song aloud every day and I asked the question a couple of weeks ago uh, as to uh, why that happened and what did Kate learn from that discipline and one of the things that Kate said to me was that she practiced this discipline to set up a foundation of trust in God throughout her pregnancy right and that's exactly why this song is here so that it becomes our song, so that it leads us to Jesus, so that it leads us to faith, so it leads us to look to God, so that if it it becomes something more than just what we read at Christmas. It becomes something more than what we talk about at Christmas. It becomes something more than just a story or words on a page, but it becomes our song in such a way that it changes us and leads us to God. It's the very reason I think Luke includes it in this book. And so, what I want to do this morning in our remaining time together is to dive into this song in such a way that it becomes ours. In such a way that it becomes deeply meaningful. In such a way that it points us to Jesus in such a way that it increases our faith in what God is doing and what God has done. There are essentially just a few things I want us to look at as we attempt to internalize and actualize these songs to be our songs. First, I want us to see that Mary's song is utterly God-focused and wrapped up in a huge story of salvation. It's utterly focused on God. It's wrapped up in a big story of salvation. It's obviously very personal to Mary, but it's not private. The first few verses are about her magnifying the Lord and about what God has done for her. But then she references this story of the entire Old Testament of God moving for His people. It's about God being holy and God showing mercy and God showing strength and God scattering the proud and God exalting the humble and God filling the hungry. It's about God doing everything He said He was going to do. It's about God coming through. And she fully recognizes that what God is doing here in the first advent and the birth of Christ is huge. Like she gets the incarnation completely and there is no more profound theological statement about the incarnation than what Mary has written in her song. She gets it. She recognizes the grand story of redemptive history that God is going to bring about through the baby that is in her womb. She sees that God is bringing His rule to pass on earth as it is in heaven, and she has the privilege of participating in that by giving birth to the Messiah, to the Savior, by caring for Him, by literally giving of herself for the Savior. Her very acts of being a mother. Giving of herself for the Savior. But here's the thing. Here's the thing that I can't get past, is that Her participation in all of this doesn't end when Jesus is born. I mean, just consider for a minute, right? Just consider for a minute that what Mary sings about, what Jesus preaches about in the Sermon on the Mount, and what James writes an entire book about, can all be found right here in Mary's song. We know that Jesus is Mary's son. Right, but so was the person who wrote the book of James. And just listen to these words. Luke chapter 1, 52 through 53, I just read it. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. James 2, 5 Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? Or, or in Luke one fifty, Mary says this, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. And then Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And then James writes in his book, judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over Judgment. Is it possible, right, that Mary spoke these truths to her kids, sung these truths to her kids over her children? And that they continued to show up throughout the New Testament, right? Or or consider this. How do you think Luke found out about all of this stuff? Who was the only person there for all of this? One person has suggested this experiment that that you can try on your own. Like, read Luke chapter 1 and 2, and wherever you find the word Mary or she referring to Mary, insert the word I or me instead. And you'll see with very minimal changes, these chapters read like a first-person account of what happened. Like, in all probability, Luke 1 and 2 We're dealing with eyewitness testimony from Mary. Who else would have known all the details of these chapters? This whole experience was deeply personal to Mary, but it was not private. And she became a witness to it. To her kids, to the world, to Luke, we get to hear about it because she recognized the incredibly big story that God is bringing to fruition through the baby that's in her womb. She becomes a witness to it in her home and beyond. Right? May her example, may her life, may her witness, may her song, when we make it our own, remind us of this huge story that God is bringing to fruition and may we be witnesses like Mary to this big thing that God is doing. Second, right, I want us to see that she sees herself in God's story and not just God in her story. Here's how she understands the significance, the meaning of the coming of her child. His arrival is the mercy of God for all who will fear Him from generation to generation. Right, it's the display of strength of His arm. It's the display of judgment on the proud. It's the display of blessings on the humble. And she sings all of this, like I said, as if it's already been done. As if it's already come to fruition. She sings about them, it seems, in the past tense. The poor have been fed. The proud have been condemned. The humble have been exalted. It's past tense now because Jesus has come and the future is sure and certain. Because Jesus is here. Right? For some of us, this Christmas might be a little difficult. Over the last year, we might have lost a loved one. Or, right now, we might be living a life that's complicated. Our financial situation might be precarious. Our health might be bad. Any number of issues may make this holiday season is something less and pleasant but maybe maybe the call for us is to meditate on the past tenses of mary's song because they remind us that because of mary's boy because of jesus because of the first advent because of the incarnation god is bringing to fruition everything that he promised a, a, a promise that will ultimately be fulfilled in an age when suffering is over, when righteousness reigns, when wickedness has ended, when wrongs are righted. And we can be certain of all of those things because of Jesus. Right, And hopefully making this song our song will lead us to rest assured in God's promises. To rest assured in the tension of the now but not Yet, knowing that at the second advent of Christ, all wrongs will be righted. Let's join in on Mary's song and remember that what God promises, God brings to fruition. All right, and finally, let's see that she sees Jesus' first coming as the dawning of the great reversal. Mary expresses the longing for justice that King Jesus came to provide. Oftentimes when we think of the story of Jesus, when we think of what Christ has done, we think about it in a very personal way. We think of the gospel merely in terms of our own sin, our own issues. We say, uh, I am guilty, I'm a sinner. Jesus lived a righteous life. Jesus came to earth to die on the cross and to satisfy God's justice. And Jesus takes my sin... He atones for it on the cross. In return, He gives me His righteousness. And through this exchange, I'm justified. I am right with God. And all of that is true. And all of that's important to the story of the gospel. And I want to wholeheartedly affirm that as an important part of the gospel. But That's not the entirety of the gospel. It's much bigger. And so the gospel that Mary sings about focuses on the great reversal. She says, my Savior here, and those words may speak of her own personal sense of forgiveness and acceptance, but most of the song is about how the powerful, rich, and arrogant are cast down, while the hungry are satisfied, the poor are taken care of, and the humble are lifted up. Right? And this song isn't merely about personal righteousness, but about justice being established throughout the human community. In other words, Mary's song deals with something much bigger than just personal sin. The decisive event in Mary's gospel, the coming of King Jesus, grows out of a narrative that includes the entire history of Israel. Individuals are a part of that, yes, but communities and nations and kings and conquerors and judicial systems and slaves and masters and exiles and sojourners And foreigners are all part of the story. And Mary recognizes that the powers that now rule the world are going to be overthrown by Jesus. That's the gospel according to Mary. Mary understood that Jesus was a threat to the evils of society. Mary was a threat to Roman culture and the world and the Roman Empire and the false gospel that anything other than Jesus could bring peace. Right? Nothing brings peace but Jesus. Not governments or institutions or armies or societies or cultures. It's only Jesus. It's not Caesar and Mary gets it. Mary's singing about Jesus versus Caesar and Jesus wins. This was good news. Especially for the poor and the oppressed. And it still is. With the birth of Jesus Christ, God was keeping a very old promise to His people to bring peace and justice and blessing at last. It's no wonder that Mary sings. It's no wonder that the church has been singing for thousands of years now. The infant child in Mary's womb, the focal point of human history in whom all the promises of God, not just for Mary but for all people everywhere, are coming to fruition. Mary's song is about the great reversal. Mary's song is about God doing everything He said He was going to do. And she fits all of that into this song. And I believe we're invited in to make this song our song. Right, so that's what I want to close with is that call right there. I wonder if you can join in Mary's song today, if you can make it your own, if we can make it our own, and trust that God is at work, and be assured of God's plans, and remain confident that He is for us, and not against us, and Jesus is proof of that, can we, like Mary, join in this song and magnify the Lord for what He's done for us, for what He has done through Jesus what he is continuing to do through Jesus. right? The, the king has come. And he will come again at a second advent. And in his name, all oppression will cease. Whether that be the spiritual oppression of sin. Or the structural oppression of corporate sin. And this is the best news in a world of bad news. Mary understood this in ways that we sometimes overlook. Right. Let's remember her gospel message as we sing our own Advent songs over the next few days and weeks. Let's make her song our song. Let's join in this understanding that God has done something great. God has done something impossible. He's given us a Savior. He's given us. world a Savior to right all the wrongs, to uh, bring to fruition all that God has promised, to make things the way that God intends them to be. Let's join in that song. Make that song our own song. We're going to enter a time of response and um, we'll have the opportunity to do a few things over the next few minutes. One is uh, the band will come back on stage and uh, lead us in some songs and give us the opportunity to worship through singing. We have that opportunity. You have the opportunity to sit right where you are to reflect, to pray, to um, to deal with whatever it is that God has given you this morning. Has is working in your hearts and minds. You have an opportunity to give. There's a giving basket in the back where you can give. Uh, we recognize that um, not everybody carries cash or a checkbook, and so. There's some uh, instructions as well back there, ways to give other ways, or in other means, by other means. Um, and also during this time we'll take communion. We have the opportunity to come up front, uh, come down either one of these aisles, take the bread, uh, dip it in the juice this morning, and uh, remember the body of Christ that was broken for us and the blood of Christ that was shed for us. Um, knowing that when we do this we're remembering what Christ has done and we're proclaiming that we believe it. So if you're here, whether you're a member of redemption or not, we invite you to come and take communion, and reflect on what Christ has done, remember what Christ has done and proclaim that we believe it. So I'm going to pray for us and then we'll move on with that time of response. God, thank you for the opportunity we've had to be together, to be reminded of this big, huge, incredible thing that you're doing, that you have done, that you've accomplished through Jesus Thank you for Mary's willingness to sing this song. Thank you that this song can be our song. Thank you that we can rejoice and worship in all that you've done. And God, I pray that you would lead us to do just that over this Advent season. That it would not be just a time for us to think about ourselves. God, it would be a time to reflect upon what you've done through Christ. God, I pray that you would lead us to faith. I pray that you would lead us to trust. I pray that you would be honored and glorified in our response. God, we pray all this in the name of Jesus, our Savior, our King. Amen.